Cyber attackers aren't a priority until your company is number one on their hit list. Vulnerabilities can be ignored until one makes your business the front page news. Secure your business digital future with Salcom Cyber Threat by Telefonica Tech, the complete cybersecurity service with round-the-clock monitoring and detection. Get serious about cybersecurity. Find out how only at Salcom Business. This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Tech Talk, brought to you by Cellcom Business. BFM 89.9, the business station. My name is Rich Bradbury, and this is Matt Splained. Is it too late to contain the spread of AI? As experts debate the development of truly super-intelligent machines and the role that they should take in our societies, algorithms are already controlling and influencing our present. The next generation of machines is poised to take scientific discovery beyond the point where we can do anything but accept its conclusions. But are those predictions as dire as they sound? AI is one of the themes we come back to most often on this show. Was 2021 a big year for AI? Hey Rich, it's a difficult question to answer, not because there haven't been huge advances in the field, but because of the way we think about it. We tend to think of AI as this standalone discipline, which it is, but it's also part of so much of our daily lives. Too, one of the biggest smartphone developments in recent years has been embedding AI into our devices, which means that for all kinds of services, from photo processing to digital assistance to voice transcription, the devices no longer have to send the files to the cloud to process. You don't need a data connection. It's all done on your device, but that isn't something you really notice, unless you notice the speed jump in processing it provides. And that's quite common with a lot of AI applications. They aren't things we're aware of. They happen in the background. We see the big stories about the AI that is teaching itself to design or program new AI or beating chess masters. What we don't notice are the chatbots that take our initial queries and seamlessly pass them on to a human operator if our request exceeds its program parameters and the numerous other incremental advances that blur the lines between machine and human. Has there been something that's particularly notable for you? Of course, it's long been my dream to create a synthetic version of myself that can exist in the cloud. My ultimate aim would be to do these shows with no human input whatsoever. This year, I've tried out a few of those AI story and text generators with mixed results. A lot of the time, the text they generated was too generic and repetitive. It didn't really save time or effort as to be useful. They had to be extensively replaced or rewritten. In terms of my voice and personality, though, the results have been better. It helps that my personality is rather mechanical at the best of times. Some listeners may remember that Rich and I did an AI voice test last year. We uploaded our voice prints to a service called Descript, and we recorded a segment of the show using those synthetic versions of our voices. Their app has made enormous developments over the last 12 months. In fact, what you are listening to now, and what you've been listening to for the past few minutes, has been machine-generated from text that the frankly inferior human version of Matt has forced me to read. Okay, this is me again, by the way, uh, the Matt, rather than the uh, the Matt bot, or rather... <laughs> This is actually me for the first time today, which may be a disappointment for those of you who were 
enjoying that robot voice doppelganger. Uh, so I sent Richard a short clip using this new voice model, uh, I think a few weeks before Christmas. Yeah. Uh, and when you sent it, I, I was in the studio um, doing a live show uh, and I, I was between talk sets and I, I, I played it whilst Christine was in the show, uh, the studio. Uh, and she was like, are you speaking to Matt right now? That's how scary it was. Oh, really? I didn't realize that, <laughs> that Christine actually thought it was me. Um, yeah. But no, I mean that is impressive, and and the same with uh, the same with you know elements of the uh, the 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 voice that you've just heard. Some of it sounds very natural, very realistic, and other mm. points you can tell it's it's treated. But on our last episode, I think somewhere back in December, uh, we talked about blockchain technologies in terms of the way that they've become this enormous hype machine. You know, they've been linked to wild financial speculation. Mm -hmm. And that has been one of the more dominant tech stories, I think, over the past 12 months, uh, coupled, of course, with the, the the misdirection, I guess, of the metaverse, both of which, as the map bot helpfully points out, have rather drowned out what's been happening in terms of artificial intelligence, mm -hmm. especially as we got to the latter part of the year, where we started to see uh, these stories coming out that were once again predicting all of the dangers of super smart AI. So anyone wanting to go into sort of more detail about that and with a speaker uh, a lot more learned and informed than I am, uh, I'd direct them to the BBC's Reith Lectures. I think I've said that right. Reith or Reith, R-E-I-T-H, which you can find online. They've got their own podcast stream, but they're also on the uh, BBC website. This year, Stuart Russell, who is a professor of computer science and the founder of the Center for Human Compatible Artificial Intelligence at the University of California, Berkeley. Academics are terrible at coming up with uh, names for things. Yeah, right? Yeah. He gives uh, four lectures around the theme of living with AI. He talks about AI and the fears that we have. Uh, he talks about it and the way it's influencing economic activity. But he also talks about its increasing military and policing roles. And I think the final one is about how we can actually find ways to coexist with these systems. Uh, and, and you claim we, we, we still have nothing to fear? I don't know if it's so much that we have nothing to fear. It's just about how we shape those decisions, you know, what AI does, what we allow it to become. So it's also a bit like those metaverse conversations that we had last year. At mm. the moment, there is no metaverse. Uh, we can have those discussions. We can try and define it. But companies like Facebook, sorry, Meta, are jumping into that conversation now. They're telling us, what they want it to be. So we need to have those conversations around, I guess, big AI for want of a, a better term. Mm -hmm. But what we aren't having uh, are those conversations about the, uh, the algorithms and how those dumb AI systems are sweeping through our world and the uses that companies and governments are actually putting them to. And as I just demonstrated with my, my voice clips, it's perfectly possible to create a reasonably convincing deep fake voice and direct it to say what you want, because mm -hmm. all I did was type those words in. But are there enough safeguards in terms of what those systems can actually do? Um, are you referring to the uh, Alexa challenge story? 
Well, yeah, that one specifically. So in case you haven't heard of this story, it was a report from the BBC in late December that a 10-year-old child had been at home. She'd been doing some physical education challenges on YouTube because, you know, it's Britain, the weather was bad, so she couldn't go and play outside. When she asked her Amazon Echo speaker to give uh, her another challenge, it told her to try pulling uh, an electric socket, the plug slightly out of the wall, and touch a coin to one of the prongs. Now, in case I need to say it, that is a potentially lethal activity. Nobody should ever try that. It can give you a massive electric shock. Mm -hmm. And it was a trend that surfaced briefly on social media and was quickly removed uh, about a year ago. But somehow the girl's Alexa assistant referenced those reports about the challenge and her echo speaker happily told her to try it. Thankfully, her mother was with her at the time, and her mother also added in the report that her daughter is too sensible to do anything that daft. And of course, Amazon quickly patched the issue once they were made aware. But that's kind of the problem. It's that the users have to tell the owner of the technology, in this case, Amazon, that something has gone wrong with the information that the AI is actually giving. Isn't that normal, though? I mean, we buy something, it doesn't work, and we tell the retailer or manufacturer that there's something wrong with it. Um, Can't we put that down to something like a a faulted device or a system error? Well, I think that's really the crux here, because the AI didn't malfunction. There was nothing faulty about it. What Mm. the algorithm lacked was the ability to contextualize. It, you know, it was asked and it was answered. It found a challenge, it delivered it. So as far as the Alexa was concerned, task done. Right. So as I said, the AI didn't malfunction. It wasn't faulty. It was that ability to contextualize. But what was lucky was that this happened to a relatively sensible young girl and there was the double protection that her mother was actually present. So what we're saying is that AI is still very much an experimental and developmental tool. Well, yes. To the machine, the experience with the girl is an exercise. Uh, Driving assistance software, for example, that causes an accident, uh, causes harm or even death to the car's occupants or road users, will learn from that experience so that it hopefully won't be repeated. You know, there are all sorts of ways to train artificial intelligence. Adversarial networks where two or more versions of the software challenge each other, that's one. Uh, Neural networks where no implicit instructions are given, that's another. But very often, and in the real world at least, AI learns from its experiences and interactions with us. And it's interesting because one of the backdrops to the last 12 months has been the development of new vaccines for COVID, Mm -hmm. which many people are unwilling to take because of the fact they are new. And to their minds, new equates to experimental, and experimental, in their minds, means not safe. Mm -hmm. Yet we embrace these truly experimental machine tools, these artificial intelligence, and put them to work in our everyday lives. But what safety tests have they been put through? What government bodies, what organizations have approved these machines as being fit for purpose? So um, is our frame of reference off kilter then when it comes to AI? 
Well, I think that's where the vaccine analogy is actually quite useful. If you flip the narrative a little, it would be easy to frame artificial intelligence in terms of a global pandemic. In the Terminator movies, we believe that Skynet is a threat because it's self-aware. But really, that's not the biggest problem. Skynet is a threat because it's everywhere. It's in every system. It is an infection. And that's the situation that we approach today. These little bits of code are everywhere. Uh, having said that, I don't believe AI is a pandemic. I'm just trying to make that point. You know, these are complex machines, and the majority of people don't understand them in any real or kind of coherent way. Mm -hmm. And because of that lack of understanding, we often miss the point that though they are assisting us, they're incapable of understanding us. Machine intelligence can be guided by human responses. You know, it can be guided by how many people react in a certain way to a certain set of actions or circumstances, which is something we'll talk about more after the break. But it doesn't ascribe any moral weight to it. You know, it, it looks at murder uh, as being bad because one of its parameters says it is or because it finds it's relatively in, uncommon in terms of frequency. Yet these are still the tools that we allow to sit unsupervised in a smart speaker in a kid's bedroom. Mm. But these machines are choosing what news we see. They guide our purchasing decisions. They help to manage investment portfolios. Yet we haven't the slightest idea why these very stupid and limited pieces of code actually do what they do. Okay then, after the break, artificial intelligence and the end of all things. You tune into Matt Splained here on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Stay tuned to Tech Talk, brought to you by Cellcom Business. Be financially minded. BFM 89.9. Tech Talk, brought to you by Cellcom Business. BFM 89.9, the business station. My name is Rich Bradbury. Welcome back to Matt Splained. If 2021 was the year that we started to reconsider our relationship with AI. Could 2022 be the year that AI makes knowledge irrelevant? Well, you know, one of the best things about this digital world is the amount of knowledge that we all have. You know, with a few clicks, we can find out pretty much anything. You mm. know, you can find out how to drill a hole in a wall without electrocuting yourself or flooding your home. That probably tells you a lot about me. Uh, <laughs> you can find out why cold fusion just won't work. And you can research how aerosol particles disperse by watching some Australians drop paint-filled exercise balls off a giant tower onto a giant axe. But one of the drawbacks is that we have developed this tendency to treat information a bit like a pub quiz. We can reel off these impressive lists of facts without necessarily having developed a corresponding sense of understanding to accompany them. These shows certainly wouldn't be possible without the internet. 
Well, as it's the first show of the year, I'm not going to take that as any kind of insult. Uh, and it's true, uh, not just for me, but I imagine BFM would need a, an enormous staff of producers and researchers mm. and fact checkers without the internet. You know, it's hard to think back to that old world of just a couple of decades ago where you had to go to libraries, you had to order books, you had to painstakingly trawl through physical copies of newspapers and old publications just to find something that might make, you know, a sentence or two or a quick aside. Which isn't to say that you can't find in-depth information online. No, of course not. You know, the ability to publish all kinds of research online has enabled us to create this vast commons of knowledge. And sure, not all of it is free. You might find papers and journals behind paywalls, but there is usually a synopsis. And very often you'll find that there's someone somewhere who's done an explainer video or written an article. I mean, I don't know how many of our listeners follow the uh, YouTube channels like uh, Veritasium, where you'll find really complex physics and maths and computational science and AI explained, but done in really engaging ways, including using rented helicopters. You know, one of the, the great mysteries of the modern age is how electricity works, by which I mean, how does the power that's generated, you know, dozens of kilometers away, turn on lights and make devices work in our homes? And I'm not ashamed to say uh, that when I watched a Veritasium video about electricity, there was lots of stuff in there that I didn't know, particularly mm. when it comes to the idea of wires being stuffed with electricity. They aren't. It's about the, magnet the electromagnetic fields that they they create. So we have this weird combination of being able to learn the answers without knowing the workings out or having that deeper understanding of what the answer actually means. And that takes me to my favorite hitchhiker's guide analogy, the uh, supercomputer Deep Thought, uh, which determines that the answer to life, the universe, and everything is 42. Of course, which is a completely useless answer. So it designs another far more complex computer to determine what the question actually is. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the stage that we're getting to with AI right now. Yeah, we're using it to compute more and more complex ideas, to run simulations and experiments at speeds that human researchers simply can't. And we saw that with the development of the COVID vaccines, with AI mm. being used to develop potential candidates, which shortcut a lot of the trial and error work that using traditional methods could have led us to spend weeks or months or even years doing. And we're also seeing it in one of 2021's most remarkable AI breakthroughs. And again, you know, Blinken, you might have missed it, uh, DeepMind's AlphaFold network, which mapped all the proteins in the human body, something human researchers have spent decades doing, and they managed to identify less than 20% of those, uh, those proteins. Uh, AlphaFold, I think, brought it up to about 98.5%. Wow. So the hope is that uh, machines like AlphaFold will enable us to develop personalized medicines, treatments that bind to specific parts of molecules, to, to quote the new scientist. But we're largely in the dark as to why machines like AlphaFold make the predictions they do. Uh, to quote a Guardian article by Laura Spinney called, Are We Witnessing the Dawn of Post-Theory Science?, you can't lift a curtain and peer into the mechanism because there isn't 
a set of workings out that you can extract and look at. Is this partly a, a data issue? Of course. I mean, otherwise, you know, why talk about it on a tech show? <laughs> but, um, you know, machine learning can uh, both generate and output, you know, vast tranches of data. And that changes theories, or at least the shape of the theories, at a conceptual level. Uh, Laura Spinney quotes Tom Griffiths, a psychologist at Princeton University, who says, you know, these theories uh, that make sense when you have huge amounts of data look very different from the ones that make sense when you only have small amounts. So you're back to that deep thought problem. The issue isn't the answer. The machines can give us the answer in ways that are easy for us to digest, but we no longer truly understand the question. I mean, it's always a, a dangerous question to ask, though. Does it matter? Well, on one level, no. You know, perhaps we're getting to that stage in our development as a species where we don't need to know the questions behind the answers. Uh, science fiction is uh, full of stories about machine-dependent species that are suddenly adrift when that machinery fails. Mm -hmm. And they realize, you know, they don't really have any basic life skills anymore. You know, they don't know how the lights work. They don't know. I mean, they, they you know, they simply can't do anything. But at the same time, you can argue that as a species, we can only progress so far if we insist on controlling all of the processes by which we get information. Mm -hmm. You know, we we can't really talk about the superintelligence of the future at this point, at least in terms of its capabilities. But we can talk about the machines we have now, especially in terms of the data that we feed it. And that data is often a weakness. We've talked so often on the show about how data sets and AI can lead to unusual and unpleasant outcomes. And there was that example, of course, of the, the coin and the plug in the first half of the show. You mean those larger issues of distortions as a result of uh, biased data sets? Certainly. You know, we've seen racial profiling and bias being baked into data, AI concluding that it's better to hire men in senior positions because most senior positions are occupied by men. Uh, in medicine, this is particularly important because women and non-Europeans are underrepresented in a lot of medical tests. And there's the classic case of medications being developed for women being tested entirely on men because it was thought that menstruation would affect the testing. Mm. Are we seeing those uh, same calls to limit how involved AI becomes in the process of uh, discovering knowledge? I mean, I don't think so. As we've noted before, uh, AI as it currently stands is usually an assistive tool rather than a truly independent one. Mm. And what's exciting some researchers is the ability of the machines to demonstrate when the theories that we have are too simple. When we talk about machines looking at things in different ways, you know, it's often said with the implicit assumption that our way, the human way, is the right way. Mm. And there are often limitations in terms of the way that we formulate ideas and theories. Uh, quoting Tom Griffiths again, uh, his team did a piece of research on risky behavior taking. The neural net the Princeton team used predicted the outcomes that people would choose in various scenarios with quite a lot of accuracy. But it also helped highlight where the initial theory broke down or where it was insufficient. 
which was the point where we become overwhelmed by possibilities and switch to simpler or competing strategies to make decisions. So these larger data sets allow the machine to come up with much more complex strings of possibility. You know, we tend to look at things in terms of if this, then that, plus but we can only hold those in our heads up to a certain point. The machine can calculate these strings almost indefinitely and produce likely outcomes for situations that we can't even conceive. Is that enough for us, though? Do you think humans can can live in a world of correlations rather than knowledge? Well, that certainly is the bigger question. You know, we can improve and enlarge data sets to overcome some of those implicit biases. We may be able to accept that certainly in terms of medicines, it's more important to have the answers than to know how we reach them. But whether it's enough for us just to have the answers, that's difficult to answer. You know, that's a much more metaphysical issue. Human history, human development, it's about that search for information. It's part of that obsession that people like Elon Musk have with pursuing the question of whether humankind can live and settle and thrive on other planets Uh you know, and turning that into a reality. Mm-hmm. It's why we have all those concepts in mathematics that most of us thought were useless and we'd never use in our daily lives. So perhaps we can develop machines that are better at informing us how they arrived at those answers or machines that are better at framing them in ways that are familiar to us and more comfortable. But there's also the argument that humans are needed for that spark of creativity and for their intuition. But machines like DeepMind have started to make their own intuitive leaps. Machines are also creating art, writing stories, poems and articles, making videos. They're not always coherent, but it is going to be interesting to see the DeepMind equivalent of the apple falling on Newton's head Mm -hmm. and finding out where that process takes us. Uh, Laura Spinney quotes Picasso, who said, I think in the 1960s, computers are useless, they can only give you answers. (laughs) And while there is a truth to that that I think people like Douglas Adams and, of course, Deep Thought would appreciate, we can apply the ingenuity and uh, creativity that characterize humans to those machine-derived answers. Fantastic. Uh, Thanks for that, Matt. Thanks, Richard. Uh, It's been a while since I've been on, actually. Yeah, it has. Now, um, you can find Matt on Instagram and Twitter at CultureMatt. You can also head over to culturepop.com for transcripts of these shows and information about CulturePop and its consulting services. If you missed any part of this show, don't forget you can download the podcast wherever you normally download it from. We recommend the BFM app. It's available from the Apple App Store or Google Play. I'm Rich Bradbury for BFM 89.9. Tech Talk was brought to you by Cellcom Business. Get serious about cybersecurity and secure your business's digital future at business.cellcom.com.my. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.